Loving Father in heaven, it is just a joy to be here and to fellowship with people who are in love with you, who are down to earth, who just want to do your will. Father, it's been just a privilege to be here and we thank you for what we are learning. We thank you for the um, opportunity to hear tonight as Brother Bob shares with us about the history of agriculture and Adventism that uh, came about as a result of the messages that you sent us. And Father, we pray that as a result of this conference, as a result of the association, as a result of the messages going out through Audioverse, through the videos, that our educators and that those who are responsible for our young people will capture a vision of what they can be if we will take hold of your message and um, carry it out to its fullest extent. Father, tonight, will you please pour out your spirit in this place? Be upon uh, Bob, be with his mouth and his words. And uh, Father, thank you for what you're doing. We, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a special spotlight tonight, and uh, Ricky Siler is going to lead out in that. Thanks, <coughs> thanks, Darren. Glad to be here. Uh, I'd like to invite Paul uh, Dysinger to come on up, if we could. Hope my voice holds here. I'm just kind of going through this voice thing. But, you know, I just think um, how neat it is to be here and the different contacts you make and the different resources that you are able to um, take advantage of. So we're gonna take about 12, 15 minutes here, and we're gonna feature or spotlight three resources that you might like to take advantage of once you leave the conference, right? Because this is just kind of the beginning for a lot of us, yes? So I've invited Paul Dysinger up. Paul, welcome. Thank you. Glad you're here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, if the last name Dysinger rings a bell, um, he's connected kind of through that whole Dysinger group, right? Is that right? If you'd like to call it that, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a blessing to be a part of the family that we have. But here's the thing, right? Here's, here's what's kind of interesting. There's a, there's a lot of training that's available. And, and as I was looking over, some of the people will be spotlighting and some of the programs that they offer over the next um, tonight and tomorrow and uh, on into Sabbath. They're gonna shift a little bit, but there's some really good training opportunities out there. And they're, they're all a little different. And they all may appeal to one person a little more uh, than another person. So tonight we're gonna talk to Paul, and Paul is gonna talk to us a little bit about his training program. And if I understand it, it's actually uh, called, let's see, Born to Grow. Born to Grow, yes. Yeah, so mm -hmm. how did you come up with this concept of born to grow and what impressed you to even come up with the, a training program like this okay well the the name itself actually came from a summer that my couple of my cousins my sister and I did a summer market garden mm -hmm. and we named our little program born to grow so that's kind of where it came from and it has the idea you know we're born to grow not just food but we're born to grow physically, mentally, spiritually, in every area of life. Um, we have been born to grow. And the idea, I had to have this idea of creating, uh, of incorporating teaching agriculture online somehow with my family, and I kind of put it off, but in 
over, over the years, I actually was counseling with somebody, um, and they were sharing, uh, we're just looking at my life and, and what the skills that I had and the work that I had on the farm, and the idea came back. And so it kind of built off of there, and last March, um, it launched. And basically, it's an online organic gardening course built in mostly, mostly video format. So there's video sessions talking about different um, topics of gardening, but then also practical visual demonstrations of doing like bed preparation and soil blocking and <coughs> starting your starts and, and things like that. And it goes all the way down through um, taking your garden all year long. So would this be a good course for someone primarily who's interested in kind of developing this skill for like a home garden? Or is it more designed for someone who's already knows all about home gardening and they're wanting to take the next step and maybe become a small market garden? Or who do you feel like this would be best suited for? That's a, that's a really good question. And I, I would say that it's best suited for someone who is really serious about growing. They really want to learn how to grow their own food. And you could be a beginner coming into it. I, I tried to make it so that somebody could be um, somewhat of a beginner coming into it and start going through it. But at the same time, it's for someone that is, like I said, serious about growing their own food. You know, one of the biggest questions that come, has come back to me is what about growing in like a small urban environment or um, like a indoor gardening and stuff like that. And this isn't focused on that. This is focused on um, an outdoor garden in your backyard. Uh, I would like to in include more about doing the smaller gardening and stuff like that as well, but this is for more of an outdoor backyard type of garden. What kind of commitment would somebody be looking at here uh, is in regards to, do you have a certain number of lessons or courses that they go through? Is this something they can do and just go through as quick as they want, or do they do you kind of pace it out for them? How, how does that part work? So there's, there's 12 modules to it going through 12 different areas of the garden. And what I do is I actually let people come in and it's completely at your own pace. I want it to be as much of a blessing to you as possible. Everything is downloadable. All of the videos you can download onto your computer, all of the, um, the worksheets and everything. You can go through it at your own pace. You can go through it as fast as you want, as as slowly as you want to, and um, it's all available right there for you from the very beginning. So it's not drip contented, you know, over months and months. Um, it's all right there for you right from the start. Oh, very good. Do you have an idea? I mean, can somebody hop into this course like next week if they're interested, or do you have a point in time where you open enrollment for the course, or is, how does that work? Yeah, to be honest, I, I have only been opening enrollment for the course twice a year. And so it opens for a couple weeks, and then I let people in. I have at, uh, at conferences and events like this opened it up for people, you know, just for the conference. And uh, I've been so busy with doing the live streaming and, and everything like that, I've thought I would like to do that. And so if there's anybody who is interested in it, um, please do come, to, come and talk to me, and I will let you in. Um, anybody who is here at the conference, and uh, you know, I might open it for a special registration for those that signed up for the online live stream or something like that. Um, just specially for you, I'll, I'll let you in. Uh, otherwise, it would be waiting until next spring when I open registration then. And one last thing, is there some type of fee or investment the individual would make to go through the course? It is, it is a paid program. And the, I, I have done it, I like, 
I like to be able to work with people financially as well. So I've done it in monthly payments for people in like $37 a month for eight months or so. I've also done it in one solid payment of say, uh, the course is valued at um, around $400 and you could, I'd be, I, I'd like to do a special on it as well, which is, I, I've been doing it for $279. Um, that's just kind of a standard that I've been doing when I've been opening registration for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a kind of a small uh, market garden ourselves. Yeah. My, my son and daughter run it. And, <clears throat> you know, when you, when you just know a little bit of information, it can be kind of dangerous. And it's much better to know more information. So, Paul, <clears throat> thank you so much for coming up and sharing about Born to Grow. And I guess if somebody wants to learn more about it, there's probably a website. I would there is a website, borntogrow.net. And to be honest, you know, I don't consider myself the expert on home gardening or the expert on gardening. I do have the privilege of living with uh, my family and having the resources, being able to go to my dad, to being able to go to my uncle and, you know, bounce the questions off of them and get more information for you. So um, I would love for it to be a blessing to you in your home garden as well. Very good. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you sharing with that. Okay, Larry Lesher, would you come on up? Larry and his wife, Michelle, uh, for those of you who weren't here in this, for this module or this breakout session, um, they have a <clears throat> um, small market garden or even a larger market garden. I mean, depending on, I guess, your perspective, right? Small. I'm yeah. Small. But, um, in fact, our family had a chance to visit your place just a couple weeks ago, yep. and that was a blessing. We were glad to go there. Yeah, they helped because, us harvest for market. Yeah, that was fun. It was a blessing for that us. That was fun. That was fun. So, yeah, and, you know, honestly, folks, I mean, the beauty of getting engaged in an association is that you'll start knowing people all over the country, right? And so as you go on your trip or on your visit or whatever, you have an opportunity to run and buy and see how other people are doing. That's a great resource. It's wonderful. That's a great resource. A wonderful resource. It is a wonderful. They so call it, they, they called and I said, we may not be here, but it's not our house. It's the Lord's house. Come on in. That's right. They made you feel very welcome, him and Michelle both. Okay. So Larry, in, in addition to doing a small or a medium or a large market garden, depending on where you're coming from, sure. you have another... Uh, ministry you're working on in regards to a DVD or a video documentary. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, we've been working on this documentary called Pulse, the stories in the soil. And it's a combination of bringing... Pulse, is that like, like your pulse. heartbeat? Well, Daniel ate... Pulse. Pulse. Gotcha. But it's also your heartbeat. Okay, I'm with you. Right? Yeah. And so it's the blending of agriculture and health. So as I understand agriculture, it's, it's sort of the baseline of the health message. In a lot of ways. I mean, the health message is large. Yes. But without good food, we're in a lot of trouble. And if you don't know what's going on in the food industry, it's hard to make a good choice about good food. Now, do you have so, a back? I'm sorry, go ahead. So we just decided that we were, we were seeing a lot of secular documentaries, very yeah. evolutionary-based concepts. And we really felt impressed that we needed a documentary that maybe approached things from a creation standpoint. Not that we're putting creation at the forefront of the message, but when we approach the human anatomy, when right. we approach the way we view the world, it's just subtly different. And so if we just present it and people resonate with the health and they can correlate, you know, if you are what you eat and people understand that, 
and they start to make better dietary choices, the mind starts to work better. And when the mind works better, it's easier to hear the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Yeah. You're building influence in the community. You're doing a, a work for the community. It's a good gospel outreach. So you have a name. How, how's it coming with the actual documentary? Where are you at on it? We've filmed pretty much the whole documentary. All the, the footage is pretty much shot. I have been working on the edits. This is what I'll solicit from you. Pray for me, because I, while I can edit movies, it's not my, I'm a farmer. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not, a, I'm not a movie maker. Right. I don't really want to be a movie maker, but I feel impressed that this needs to happen. And so we have been working on it, and, and if you would just pray that the Lord would guide and direct in that process, that it, it would be a blessing and it would be his message and not my message, and that the message would get done and in the public hands. Are you thinking any particular timeline, or is that still kind of up in the air? My wife tells me that I need to make a timeline, and I do, and I haven't met one yet, so I, I don't know more, no, no more timeline. I'm with, yeah. You know what they say, making a public commitment helps with that. So did you want to make a public commitment? <laughs> no, I'm a free spirit. Let's, uh, no, no, that's good. Like but that's, how, that's how a lot of times the word the Lord works. I don't know if I should say free spirit. I'm a purchased spirit. There you I've go. been purchased with a, a large price, and, and I'm not my own. Very good. So how, would, how will we know when this is available or when you're done? How, um, we, ha we have a, a website, um, pulsethemovie.com. So there's a site already? It's, it's one page up, and we have cards at our booth. If you're interested, come see me at the Eastward Gardens booth over at the booth, and we have cards advertising it. You can go online and, and sign up for, for emails. Um, oh, perfect. But I, I tell you, I am a farmer. I'm, I'm not a documentary person. You can ask the people on the board. I, we're busy. And so um, when it's ready, though, I'm happy to send out an email to let people know that it's available. And... You know, hopefully we can expand the website and, and all that will come after that. Well, well praise the Lord. Or if, you, you, if you're interested yeah, if in helping yeah. me with any of that, we need help. Okay. Um, so I, I would, you know, happy to, if anybody has a, a skill set that they can lend to the project, but, you know, I'm not a do-it-myself kind of guy. I'd love to have some help. Good. Did you want to say anything? Uh, Pulsethemovie.com. I think. I'm almost positive. <laughs> His wife is going to let us know. <clears throat> Little Light Studios. And Little Light Studios is who I'm working with with this. Oh, um, perfect. And okay. it's yeah. been so long since I've been editing, they probably don't know they're still working with me. <laughs> Just so you know. Like it's, it's okay, here we go. Pulsefilm.org. O-R-G, sorry. Pulsefilm.org. .org. Great. Just so you understand, it's... It's, it's, we've interviewed a lot of top scientists in this. It's, it's, it's a real, there's a lot of potential in what we've done. And I really, if you have a skill set, I would, honestly, I'm not a movie maker. But I do, I know this needs to happen. I know it needs to happen. And so if you, if you can help, I would truly, it would be a blessing to the Lord for the assistance. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you um, and Michelle for your ministry and for the project on this movie and documentary. Okay, we have one more interview for tonight, spotlighting, and we're going to ask Byron Smith and Jan Janice. Are you here? Where are you guys at? Oh, they're over there. Okay, here we go. 
Oh, look, it's just Janice now. If you were here early, oh, no, Byron's coming. Okay, very good. <laughs> I, I appreciated you guys' um, presentation this afternoon here earlier because, you know, Janice got up here, introduced herself a little bit, and said, I'm going to go sit down. And then she kind of kept adding to the presentation throughout the whole, and I thought that was just so nice. I really liked that. So now tell That's us. That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you guys, um, run a farm out in Arizona. Correct. Yep. And you've been doing that in Arizona since what, the late 90s? 96. 96. Okay. So, and looking at what you were doing and have been doing, you have, you have quite a few folks who actually work for you, don't you? The boss says there's 27. 27 folks. Wow. Now, part of those people, my understanding is, is that you guys actually have... Including us. 27, including you. But you have, you have some type of training or apprenticeship program, is that correct? We'd love to hear about that. How, how, I mean, is it, is it, if somebody here is interested or somebody they know might be interested, they could actually come to your farm mm -hmm. and actually, how's that work? Well, we actually have some of our interns actually sitting in the audience right now and they've moved on to, to do other things, but. Um, so, if they're here, I'd love to see who. Stand who, up, show them who you are. Raise your hand. Okay, so you guys actually were there at, you're not there now. But you were. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it, we, you know, every, I'm just echoing, I'm preaching to the choir. We're living in times when we need farmers. And, and we need farmer evangelists, Seventh-day Adventist, committed yes. people who can go out and, and share the health message, our Christian message, through farming. And there's so many schools. We get so many calls from schools asking us, do you have someone who could come? Could you recommend somebody who could come to our school? And we need more people trained. So, you know, we're not, we don't know everything. In fact, we don't know very much. But we have decided to make our farm open to young people who would like to come and learn and so that's what we've done. What do you classify as a young person? Well, who's still breathing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I like that definition. I qualify for a young person. You know, it's, it's, um, it's necessary to be young to be a farmer. It's physically active work. It requires uh, a keen active mind and a lot of things like that. And so if you are doing it, you are young. Good, I like that. So how, is that, how does that work? I mean, give us some like structure. I mean, if somebody, let's say somebody here was interested or they knew somebody who was interested, what would they, how would they, what would they do? What, what, what does an apprenticeship run? Is it a certain length of time or is it a volunteer position? Is it, do they re receive compensation? Tell us a little bit about that. So give us a call or email us and then we have an application to fill in and um, you know, so we want to learn about you first, and then we would require references because we want to um, have people come that are really going to be passionate about what they're doing and will really fit into the program and the lifestyle because we want young people or, well, people, young people. Yeah, they're young, right, right, yes. We want young people who, um, who believe in the Seventh-day Adventist message, who believe in the health message in... Um, in the whole lifestyle package because, you know, anybody could come and work at our farm, but if we're going to have interns, we want them to be people who are passionate about that. And we like a commitment of a year because we believe that um, it, 
it's really, you know, if you're going to go to be a doctor or an engineer, you expect that you're going to need to go to school for four or six or eight years. And you just think that, and everybody takes that for granted. And, and then to think you could learn to farm effectively for, to be a, a, you know, a for-profit farm that, that actually worked at an institution or something, to think you could just, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go do that. And so we, we really think it's great to have a commitment of a year, because actually, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of times people come and they just first have to learn how to work and how to really be focused and, and efficient about their work and really consistent with their work and pay attention to details and all those things. And so you've got to, if, you know, I'm not saying everybody would, would need a year, but, but typically a year is good. And then if you were really going to be, um, take a really strong leadership position wherever you went, probably you might need two years. Because, you know, face it, when, when you grow a crop, it's not like baking a batch of cookies where you can bake your cookies and they didn't turn out and then you put them in the oven again later yeah. in the afternoon and try it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got to wait that three months or, four, or however long it was till you start seeing the results of the mistakes you made yeah. and, and the different issues. And you need to see the different seasons, the different things that, you know, well, when I did my lettuce at this time of year or that time of year, and so we really believe it needs to be have that commitment to it. And then as far as it's a paid internship, um, we start people at 8.50 an hour. And so you, you work your, you know, your time, your 40-hour work week, and then we do have classes um, a couple evenings a week in the after work. But you don't get paid to go to class. Um, but enough. you do get paid to work on the farm. And we really like, like them to go through the, all the aspects of the farm. We really... Um, you know, Timothy and Angelia um, were such, you know, towards the, you know, towards the end, Timothy was giving tours of the farm, and, um, you know, Angelia and Timothy would go out on marketing trips, and, um, you know, and we just, we just believe that these vibrant young people are, can be such a blessing than going into the community and sharing the, the, what the farm is doing and, and everything, so it's, it's not just about farming, it's about the, the interface with the, witnessing and everything too. Yeah. I gotta get my two cents in. I think that it's only two cents. That <laughs> it's important to us to recognize that this is actually not just an agriculture internship, it's an agriculture evangelism internship. So let's say somebody's interested. Go go where? Go to you have do you have a website? Do they call you? Email you? What, yeah, what how, email how would they contact call. how they um, contact you? If the, the the email is info at sunnyzonafamilyfarms.com and we have some little papers over there in the in that little room that okay. have the email address. So you on can them. stop by they can yeah. maybe touch your elbow or something yeah. and ask you or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So. Thank you. Well, I want to say that each of you are very dear to my heart for being here. And also because I know you love the truth. And I know that you're here. I don't think anybody's here because they got paid to come. I think you're here because you're seeking information. You're seeking an understanding of the Lord's will for your life. And you want to understand about the role of agriculture in Adventism. And so that's special. I don't know if there's been a gathering of this many people interested in agriculture from this perspective that uh, I have found any record of in Adventism so far. There have been some meetings on a smaller scale through several of the past years, and I was mentioning to somebody that 
this topic of agriculture and Adventism has been simmering for a little while, but now it seems to be boiling. And I think that the Lord is working in that. Uh, it just occurred to me while I was sitting here, and I really appreciate the special music from the Hyde family. I appreciate the selection of songs that have been prepared for the meetings here. Some of them may be songs you have not heard before, but they're agricultural songs, so that makes them special. But it occurred to me while I was sitting here that the topic that I'm supposed to be speaking on is actually called Origins of Agriculture, but what I was going to speak on was the historical development of agriculture, and maybe that doesn't classify fully as origins, so I hope you won't mind. We're going to look at origins, but we're going to look at how it has influenced the role of agriculture in Adventism through history this evening and through the next couple of evenings. Now, I want to ask a question. How many of you have been involved in a significant way in farming or agriculture as an occupation sometime in your life, either at the past or present? I'd like to have you raise your hand. It's actually more than I expected, but uh, a number of you didn't raise your hand. Now, if that kind of a question was asked back in the early days of Adventism, do you know how many people would have raised their hands? <laughs> Almost everybody. Yes, most all of the people that we know of as Advent leaders in our history were heavily involved in agriculture at some point in their experience. William Miller, of course, we know was a farmer when the Lord called him to preach the Advent message. James White and A.G. Daniels, many other names we could list that are familiar in Adventist circles were people with a significant experience in agriculture. And I'd just like to put in a little side note here that, that uh, is a conviction of mine. I think if our leadership were involved in agriculture, in the formative part of their experience, we probably would have a lot less theological error in our church today. Because if we understand the principles of agriculture, and by the way, Jesus had quite an experience in agriculture, otherwise he couldn't have talked about it the way he did. Yes, his occupation was a carpenter, but he also had a significant experience in agriculture, as most people did back at that time. But if we take agriculture as a parallel with the spiritual development of our experience, our spiritual experience, we can avoid many of the errors that are promoted in false gospels. And sometimes I have been able to find key principles of agriculture by looking at what I know the spiritual application is and then, then reason back. So you can learn a lot from both directions by always keeping the rules or the laws of, of nature and the laws of spiritual development side by side and compare them because the, the rules that govern agriculture, that govern the things of nature were given to us to be educators for understanding spiritual development. And I don't want to deviate too far or I won't be able to cover all the material that I'd like to cover this evening, but I do want to mention 
something that I share in most agriculture classes, even to people that are in the world uh, and have no religious interest. Most everybody has heard the story of Adam and Eve, and so I like to ask the question, the Bible tells us, I, I say this to people, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were the first created beings on this earth. Does anybody know from the Bible account who planted the first garden? And because you're familiar with the Bible, you give the right answer. But many people will say Adam or Cain or somebody else. But in Genesis 2.8, it says the Lord God planted a garden eastward. He invented the idea of gardening. But I believe that he didn't plant just one garden. And actually, this is probably an appropriate part of the talk because when we talk about origins of agriculture and Adventism, those origins go all the way back to creation. The Sabbath goes back to creation, and we can't talk about Adventism without talking about how the Sabbath originated, can we? So I believe this is appropriate part of understanding the origins of agriculture. But when God planted a garden in Eden, I believe he planted two gardens. He planted the garden in the soil of Eden on this earth, and he planted a garden in the heart that was also made from the soil of the earth. And the outward garden was given to illustrate the work that he intended to take place in the inward garden. And all the way down through the biblical account, we find many references to the work of the heart in agricultural terminology. And through the spirit of prophecy, there are hundreds of references that refer to the work of the heart in agricultural terminology and it just seems like it assumes that we have the familiarity with agriculture so we'll understand the application in the heart. And unfortunately, back at the time that Adventism was developing, even back at the turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s after Adventism had been around for half a century or a little more, do you know how many people percentage-wise of the population lived in the country and were involved in some level of agriculture probably. And what percentage lived in the cities? It was about 80% of the people that lived in the country in a rural environment and many of them were involved at some level in agriculture, at least having a garden that they grew and canning food to use even if it was not an occupation for them to farm. But probably 20 years ago or more, that percentage has exactly reversed to the point where less than 20% of the population now lives outside of the cities. And so because many people are not involved in agriculture percentage-wise in our population, and by the way, you may have heard the statistics that came out several years ago that we had reached the point where there are fewer farmers or fewer people involved in agriculture is the correct way that it came out. Fewer people involved in agriculture in the United States than are in prison. We have a smaller number of people involved in agriculture in the United States than are in prison. It's less than 1.9 million people that are involved in agriculture, and it's over 2 million people that are in prison. But anyway, getting back to the point that many people will say today that agriculture is really not important 
like it was years ago because food is so readily available to us now and people don't need to get involved in agriculture. Well, it seems to me that if we consider the fragile supply lines that exist and how quickly things could change, that we are much more vulnerable now than we were 50 or 100 years ago. The importance of understanding the principles that God has given for us to be able to sustain ourselves by growing food seem vastly more important now than they ever, ever were in past history. But I believe as we go through this little journey looking at developments in our history that relate to agriculture, that we will see the value of this kind of a perspective even from a much broader standpoint. In considering the origins of agriculture, I thought of different aspects that could be considered, and I'm not going to look at each of these aspects on a uh, sequential basis. Some of them we will dwell on for some length, but uh, you will see different aspects of this in different parts of the presentations, but not all in a consistent sequential way. But I just want to point these out. I've listed six things here that we will be noting as we go along. Number one, involvement in agriculture on an individual basis. There are key people in Adventism through its history that have been noted for their involvement in agriculture, some of them actually fairly recently, within the past uh, 30 years. Then also, we want to consider agriculture on an institutional basis. In fact, that's one of the areas where it figures most prominently in Adventist history. And then we also want to consider the philosophy of agriculture. We probably don't have to stop very long to consider the fact that if God has plans for agriculture in our experience, the devil's probably aware of that. And he probably has been working for 6,000 years to derail a correct understanding of God's plan of agriculture and lead us, like he has in every other area, to think that just because we're involved in agriculture, we're following God's plan. Just because we're involved in education, we're following God's plan. Just because we're involved in medical work, we're following God's plan. We can't just assume that. We need to have a clear understanding of what God is saying so that we have a correct philosophy of agriculture if we're going to learn from our history. Another area we want to look at is the connection of agriculture and education. I'm very thankful that it has been pointed out in comments and presentations in various places here so far already that it's not simply a matter of looking at agriculture as an occupation that we're talking about. That's not the reason that we have meetings here. Obviously, that is a calling for some people, and I just want to put this little seed in also. I'm especially thankful to see the young people that are here, even, even the ones that are four or five years old. We've had some very valuable and productive experiences with three and four and five-year-old children working in some of our garden and agriculture operations. And it can plant seeds and influence in their lives that, that last for the rest of their lives. But the Lord has actually given us special instruction that we should be making a special effort to 
encourage more young people to take up agriculture as an occupation, as a line of life work. And that is an area we have seriously failed in, brothers and sisters, through our history, especially in recent years. And so I want to encourage each one of you, children and young people here, that the Lord may be calling you to this kind of work as a special area of evangelism. I appreciated that emphasis that was brought out here this evening. Everything that the Lord has given us is for an evangelistic purpose and influence, and agriculture cannot function the way God intends for it to unless we approach it for the purpose of an evangelistic influence. So the connections of agriculture and education are important because it's in connection with education that agriculture has its significance. We are told a statement all of us have probably heard that says that agriculture is the A, B, and C of what? Of education, of proper education. And that means if education is lacking agriculture where it fits in, then the education is incomplete. But that also means that agriculture by itself is not the total of education. And agriculture was given, the garden was given, in order to educate back at the beginning. So agriculture assumes its proper role in the context of education. And so I want to encourage that we never separate it from that context and try to make it stand alone. Then another area that goes a little bit with the philosophy of agriculture is practices in agriculture, methods. And then a sixth area is examples of the role of agriculture in Adventism. We have a statement that we have often heard in the past. I guess I could have put this slide up. I don't know if that's hard to see with the uh, lighting, but these are the things I mentioned I want to look through. We have a statement we're familiar with from Life Sketches, page 196, that says, we have nothing to fear for the future except what? Except as we forget. So what's one of our greatest vulnerabilities? Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. We're told that the children of Israel ended up rejecting Jesus as the Messiah because they forgot how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt, the reasons he raised them up as a nation and the meaning of the prophecies that had been given. We too have a sacred history and we need to be careful not to forget. And what are the two things we're not to forget? How the Lord has led and his teaching in our past history. I believe this applies to agriculture also. We have had a tendency to apply this largely to some points of history that stand out in our minds. These, of course, can classify as events through which the Lord has led, but certainly there are more than we usually tend to call to mind. What are some of the things the Lord has taught us in our past history? Well, we are familiar with the message that is probably the central focus of Adventism that we find in Revelation 14, the three angels' messages. In the three angels' messages, we have brought to view the sanctuary, the 2300 days of Daniel 8, 14, 
the commandments of God, the faith of Jesus. We also have health reform. We're told that the medical missionary work in health reform is the right arm of what? The gospel. We have medical missionary work, but where does agriculture fit in? Have you thought about that? Is agriculture an indispensable part of the three angels' messages? We have a statement that tells us, in our work, more attention should be given to the temperance reform. Every duty that calls for what? I don't know, is this readable? Every duty that calls for reform. Now, what is reform? Change. Reforming. That means taking it and, and revising, reconstructing, redirecting. Every duty that calls for reform involves repentance, faith, and obedience. It means the uplifting of the soul to a new and nobler life. Thus, every true reform has its place in the work of the third angel's message. Now, does this mean agriculture? Is God calling for reform in agriculture? And if so, does that mean we have something to repent of in regards to agriculture in our past history? These are just thoughts to keep in mind. How about the call to get out of the cities? What will you do when you move out of the city, and where do you move to? Well, we're told that we're to move to the country. We're to be able to sustain ourselves largely without dependence on society, yet be able, while largely self-sustaining, to conduct missionary work among neighbors and in the community and even work in the cities until we are no longer able. We're told that the cities are to be worked not by living in them, but from country outposts. And we are to grow food we can take and share with the people when we go and do evangelistic work as well as to sustain ourselves. Ellen White gave much counsel as well regarding the work of education to be done for Seventh-day Adventist children and youth. She wrote considerably in regard to the plan of education that should be followed in Adventism, and it is in this context that the vast majority of material about agriculture in our history will be found in the context of the educational work. It therefore goes without really needing to say it that agriculture needs to be studied in connection with its role in education. In earlier years of the beginning of various educational institutions of Adventism, it would appear that it was a necessity for students and teachers to do a lot of the physical work involved in clearing land, putting up initial buildings, growing crops and produce needed to supply the staff and students. Scant available funds may have made it necessary for students and teachers to all be engaged in such a work. However, the idea of students just paying tuition, of getting church-funded subsidy, or of hiring building done and buying food from outside suppliers was not a new or unusual idea. There were schools started in an Adventism that took that approach, while other schools depended largely on the students and the teachers doing the work to accomplish those things. So both 
lines of approach have existed all the way from the very beginning in Adventism. It's not a recent development to depend largely on outside suppliers or workers to do these kind of things. The utilization of students in manual work needed to develop the schools where it was done seems often to have been a part, if not mostly, because of a constant emphasis from God's messenger calling for this aspect of an educational program to be included in the development of our schools. This was done at Avondale, which Ellen White emphasized would be conducted differently from any other school that had been started in Adventism so far. Now, this was in the mid-1890s when she made these kind of statements and the school was developed there in Australia. It is my purpose in these series of presentations to discuss not only where we find agriculture appearing in our history, but more importantly, to see how it fits into the message of the three angels from a historical perspective. This will necessitate studying the involvement of agriculture in the educational history of Adventism. It will enable us to look at the relevance of agricultural involvement in education today, both on an individual household level and also on an institutional level. It will involve assessing if God has a definite plan for agriculture in the practice of Adventism in the past and what kind of changes have taken place through the years to the present. It will also involve trying to understand what was being experienced, taught, and understood by earlier generations of Adventism and particularly those participating in the educational institutions. Why did agriculture receive such prominent attention in some of our schools and not in others? What was the thinking of church leadership and the leadership in various institutions regarding the involvement of agriculture? These are very important questions to consider if we are to learn from our past history and if we are to understand God's plan for us presently. Now there's also an important principle which I've just outlined in this slide. In Adventism, agriculture must be studied in the context of education. I noted that earlier, but I just want to emphasize that and that's what we're going to proceed to do here. One of the things that we will note as we go along looking at our history is are we looking at agriculture as a vocation, as an occupation to be developed, or are we to look at agriculture also, and perhaps even more, as a means of education and character development? And is there a difference between those two? We're going to look a little more closely at how that worked in our history and in the developments of Adventism. As we will note in later areas of my presentations, there was considerable emphasis on agriculture in earlier days of Adventism. This gradually gave way in the wake of efforts to gain accreditation. This is a key principle that I discovered as I looked at the history of different institutions 
This was one of the factors that changed the picture even at the Madison School. As they sought accreditation and tried to develop the ability to grant degrees that would be recognized by the secular world, very few educational institutions in the secular world saw agriculture as a means of education. Consequently, the requirements in order to get accreditation, such as having degreed teachers, such as having even endowments for reaching university classification, such as having uh, various types of buildings at a certain level for infrastructure and pay scales and other kinds of things. Agriculture was not in the accrediting board's vision as far as what was required. And so consequently, agriculture got marginalized more and more, especially in those schools seeking accreditation. Now, jumping down for a little bit, to the 1970s, there was a very noticeable resurgence of effort to revive agriculture programs in a number of our institutions. Some of these institutions were institutions that had abandoned all agricultural involvement, but they somehow, for some reason, started having an interest in reviving some kind of agricultural activity for the students. And this became very notable through the mid-1970s as I have gone through records looking at some of the historical developments. Whether as a result of this or simply responding to an unidentified impulse that seemed to course through Adventism, some people have suggested it was a result of the hippie movement of the 60s and the back-to-the-earth movement of people developing at that time, and it could have been influenced by that. But I'm going to share some things here that I believe will show other factors that were involved as well. But there was a revival of interest in a number of institutions and even among church membership in various places. And I discovered that there were a number of research papers and articles that appeared in Adventist sources in this time period focusing on agriculture and especially on its involvement in education. Now, the print on this is probably very hard to read. It's uh, small, but this is a copy of the front page of a paper that was written by a man by the name of Gary Allen Jacobs, and it was written in March 1974. It was actually part of a paper that was presented in partial fulfillment for the requirement of a course that he was taking for a certain degree. And... His paper is entitled, An Examination of Some Historical and Contemporary Views on Vocational Education and Work-Study Ideas. Now, I came across this because I did a, a very detailed search for the term agriculture and farm and farming in Adventist archives and historical records. And I came across some of these kind of uh, papers. Some of them were actually even doctoral theses papers that were written focusing on historical developments of approach to manual work and education and things like that. And some of them had quite a bit of material about agriculture and its development. In Jacobs, as well as in other writings treating on the subject of manual training and agriculture and education, 
it has not been uncommon to refer to these activities as vocational training. So keep in mind the question that I raised a little earlier, is there a difference between agriculture as vocational training and agriculture as a means of education? This term, vocational training, implies that a person is learning in a certain area so as to be prepared to take it up as an occupation. Sometimes vocational training has even been advised for those who may have struggled more in their academic achievements, the thought being that since they are not so gifted intellectually, they can work more with their hands. This idea was strongly cherished in the medieval educational system where only certain gifted people were thought to be capable of education and the rest of society was designated to be the common laborers to do the manual work required to sustain life. Jacobs points out that Ellen White emphasized that active muscular labor was essential to good thinking just as much as the training of the brain in literary lines. Did you hear that? In his paper, he points out this is the name in large print, but he points out that agriculture and manual training is not just for the purpose of working the muscles, but it actually influences the way the brain thinks, that using the muscles in active work influences the way the brain thinks. He mentioned that Ellen White admonished us to limit book study to restricted, or we should restrict it to a proper number of hours. Now, he didn't specify exactly what that meant, but it definitely was along the line that book study should be balanced with active muscular activity in order for the brain to develop properly and to be able to think at the highest level. Another valuable paper was one that was written, which I found again in the archives, by a man who I knew personally. His name was Elder Ron Schmidt. He was a former administrator in the Carolina Conference where I live. He died suddenly and unexpectedly from a heart attack, and I felt that it was a loss to the Carolina Conference. But he, he wrote a paper which I never knew until just recently when I was going through some of these historical records. He wrote a paper, and it discusses the balance of education and work study in Adventist education. You can't read the title here, but that's what it's about. And he lists some things that he was going to discuss in his manuscript, the balance of education through the work-study program, promotion of health through the work-study program, the work-study program and character development, the work-study program sponsoring teamwork, and nature and the work-study program. All very interesting subjects. He largely used the spirit of prophecy to develop a framework of discussion in each of these areas. In his introduction, Elder Schmidt describes what he sees regarding the level to which instruction given through Ellen White regarding the education in Adventism is being implemented. And he says, 
man was not created in a vacuum. Now, this is very interesting reasoning, and I found this insightful. He said, man was not created in a vacuum. God, in his infinite wisdom, created him in perfect harmony with his surroundings, and it appears strange that today we insist on educating a person in somewhat of a vacuum by only exposing him to books of other or other secondhand material. Every one of God's workers should be acquainted with nature, the minister, the missionary, and the teacher. If they do, their influence with the people will grow. The most important counsel, though, is that the teachers should definitely work together with students in nature. Have you ever heard that before? This is what he said in his little thesis paper that he was doing for his course study there. Making reference to significant statements in the spirit of prophecy, he later points out that we are told that to work in nature is essential education. It is most favorable to spiritual advancement. For nature's voice is the voice of Christ teaching us innumerable lessons of love and power and submission and perseverance. It also teaches us how to cooperate with our fellow man. That's an important point, one that we will note later that Sutherland emphasized in connection with the Madison School. This work in nature and particularly in agriculture is favorable to learning lessons of cooperation. Now, I will show some pictures probably tomorrow evening of places, some of them are ones I had personal involvement in, where gardens and farm work was being done in educational institutions. And you know what's happened in a number of these institutions? Those very fields that had rich soil that grew good crops have been turned into football fields, running tracks, and uh, other types of athletic uh, sports fields. Now, what is the basic principle that generally is at work in the athletic sports? It's competition. See, competition is working against the development of Christian principles, whereas learning principles of cooperation is what God wanted to develop in the manual activity involved in our educational institutions and in our homes. Concurrent with some of these research, well, I'll just mention this about uh, Ron Schmidt before going on. When he wrote this paper, it was in 1975, and I mentioned that there was a resurgence of interest in agricultural involvement in the 1970s. So just note these dates. I'm going to, to uh, go on to this individual here. This is in more recent Adventist history. Anybody know who this is? All right, the name is on top there. Have any of you heard him speak? All right, I see three or four hands. When I was uh, much younger, he spoke at uh, some meetings that I was at, and I had an interest in agriculture at that time, but it was at a later point that I looked at more of his material, probably more than any other individual in Adventist history, and especially in recent Adventist history, Jacob Mitleider has established himself as an agricultural consultant and uh, 
one who was considered to be very knowledgeable in agriculture. He developed a program of making an artificial soil using sand and sawdust in prepared frames or grow boxes and then applying a specialized mix of chemical fertilizers and lime to support production. A similar approach was also used in the soil for field applications. In essence, it was dry hydroponic gardening, simply using natural or artificial made soil as a medium and supplying what were felt to be the essential plant nutrients. And this, of course, was largely chemical inputs. Mitleider published his book, More Food from Your Garden, in 1975. Other books he had published included his large encyclopedia-type book called Food for Everyone, and another popular book was Growing Bed, Grow Bed Gardening. The precise drawings and detailed instructions made the books like this quite popular. In 1964, he had closed his successful nursery business and decided to live on his modest annuity so he could devote his remaining years to serving mankind in the field of scientific food production. He was an instructor in the extension faculty of Loma Linda University and has been an international agricultural consultant and given extensive instruction in successful vegetable gardening demonstrations in many locations throughout the U.S., Canada, as well as New Guinea, Fiji, Okinawa, the Philippines, and other places, including Russia. From 18, 1989 to 1996, he conducted season-long gardening courses in Russia, helping those people increase their food crops from basically four cabbage, potatoes, beets, and carrots to 23. His gardening books have been translated into Russian, Japanese, and Spanish. During the time he was teaching in the developing countries, Dr. Mitleider was honored with two doctorate degrees, one from Florida Beacon College and the other from a university in Moscow, Russia, which was reported reputedly the most prestigious school in the Russian Commonwealth. Adventism didn't really run with the Mitleider method, and he eventually turned it over to the Mormons. The LDS people are now promoting his methods and materials under the name Food for Everyone Foundation with Jim Kennard as the president. And I have talked with him by phone personally. One of the interesting aspects, and I, I might mention before going on uh, to this next one, that I know people who worked personally with Mitt Leiter and worked in his program, and they said... He does produce a lot of food, but he said something is missing. Something is not there. And I came to that conclusion after going through a thorough study of his books as well. And if you want to find out what's missing, go to some of the other technical classes. But basically, it's missing the point that God made the soil as a living biological holding tank. And when we totally ignore that and treat it as a hydroponic uh, inert substance and try to put in some chemicals we think the plants need, we may be able to make the plants grow for a while, but eventually we're going to run into very serious problems. And we will run into problems in our health, for sure, even if we can keep the plants looking good. 
but go to some of the other classes to find out some of those more technical issues. One of the interesting aspects of the period of church development in the 1970s is that the General Conference president at that time, Robert H. Pearson, made several heartfelt appeals for a revival and reformation in Adventism. And those who, have, who were living at that time or part of Adventism will remember those appeals and it seemed that there was a special effort being made to really seek a true and earnest revival in Adventism at that time. And I find it very interesting, more than just a coincidence, that in that same framework, there was suddenly a revival of interest in agriculture, in Adventist institutions, and among Adventist members. I think there may be a connection there, and I just wanted to emphasize that. He indicated a concern for the secular influences and the trends toward following popular practices becoming common in other churches and in the world's educational systems. In 1976, he wrote an article that appeared in the Journal of Adventist Education entitled, Education for What? He opened the article with the words so fondly quoted often by Sutherland in former years, now as never before, we need to understand the true science of education. If we fail to understand this, we shall never have a place in the kingdom of God. Amen. In his article, Pearson makes reference to E.A. Sutherland's account of educational reforms that for a time were promoted prior to the 1844 movement at places like Oberlin College and other such institutions. And he also points out how they finally failed instead of carrying through. He pleads that we not repeat the history of their failure to maintain and complete such reforms. Near the beginning of this issue is a call issued by the General Conference Educational Leaders. I find this interesting as well. What was the date? 1976. This appeal from the educational leaders of the General Conference admonishes the church not to conform to worldly standards, but to implement in our educational institutions the plans that will prepare people for Christ's second coming. The same issue has an article describing the introduction of a new class at Pacific Union College covering aspects of gardening and country living. Previously, in response to popular requests, the school established a recreational gardening feature that was available for interested students. The article ended up by saying, the country living concept was established in the Garden of Eden and later promised to the children of Israel, both ancient and modern. The PUC, Pacific Union College program, does not attempt to set a new path, but rather guides its students into the path already established. We as a people have neglected country living for generations. Ellen G. White's appeal to leave the cities and establish homes in the country, though written more than 70 years ago, is still applicable today. 
the faculty involved with the Country Living Program at PUC pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us into a better understanding of the truth for our time. Many of our young people are eager to step out into the path illuminated by the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. We teachers must study and work with them to find answers to the problems of moving from the cities to the country. Do you know that was being emphasized and encouraged by staff at PUC in that time frame. This was a very definite revival of something that had been lying dormant for quite some time. And it wasn't just at PUC. I could spend quite a while going through a number of other institutions, but I just want to share some of the developments taking place in that time period. Another article in this issue discusses the legal liabilities of having students working Okay, these, these are some of the articles that appeared in the Journal of Adventist Education. And these, some of these were in the 1970s. This was an article on curriculum development, framework for a balanced education. This was by Reuben Hild. And then another article by Walter J. Brown, what is balanced education. Do you think that's a, a very appropriate question? Yes. And these are articles that, that talk about the incorporating of manual activity, and many of them mentioned agriculture and gardening as an important part of education according to the plan of education that God has given to Seventh-day Adventists. This was an article by George Akers and Robert D. Moon on integrating learning, faith, and practice in Christian education. Another significant article. One of the issues of the Journal of Adventist Education was especially devoted here in the 1970s framework of time to the issue of manual labor and training in the educational programs. And it had this statement quoted Manual training is deserving of far more attention than it has received. Schools should be established that in addition to the highest mental and moral culture shall provide the best possible facilities for physical development and industrial training. While every person needs some knowledge of different handicrafts, it is indispensable that he become proficient in at least one. Every youth should on leaving school have Every youth on leaving school should have acquired a knowledge of some trade or occupation by which, if need be, he may earn a livelihood. So these kind of statements are being discussed and quoted in some of these issues. This whole issue here is about vocational education. Now one of the things I found interesting, going back to a point I made earlier, that more and more of the focus now starts becoming on the remaining discussion on manual labor and activities and education. It becomes focused more and more on the concept of vocational training. Now, tomorrow evening, we're going to go back and look at some of our earlier institutions, institutions like Emmanuel Missionary College, Avondale College, Oakwood College, Southern Missionary College, some of the other institutions, and what the philosophy of education was and why agriculture was seen to be important. 
And we will notice that there's a shift gradually taking place in the understanding away from agriculture, particularly as a means of education and becoming more of vocational training. But nonetheless, it is a revival of focus on the value and need for manual training, which was uh, very encouraging, at least. History of vocational education in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And a quote there is given from Special Testimonies, Series B. This is actually a testimony written regarding the work of the Madison School. There is among us too much clinging to old customs, and because of this, we are far behind where we should be in the development of the third angel's message. Because men could not comprehend the purpose of God in the plans laid before us for the education of the workers, methods have been followed which have retarded rather than advanced the work of God. So this was actually quoted in one of the articles there in the 1970s. Now, another article discusses the legal liabilities of having students work with equipment or in other situations where injury might result. This is something that might not even occur to us, but it has been a big factor. And I would recommend uh, reading this article, anybody who's interested in working in an institutional setting or working even where you hire or employ people, consider these factors. And uh, I can provide the article for you if you need it. This is a picture of the property at the Avondale School, a survey of different Adventist schools through this time period, the earlier time period of Adventism, brings us to the experience of the Avondale School. And one of the things that led me to see a connection here was that in the 1970s, the Avondale School also experienced a revival of interest. Uh, when I had an opportunity to go visit there and do some research in their old records back several years ago, I took these pictures there, and these are the grounds around the Avondale School presently that's uh, being rented out. Now, in the early days of Admin Avondale, most all of the tract of land there, there were several hundred acres, but the land was being used for agricultural purposes by the school in a very, uh, very broad way. When I was there several years ago, none of the land was being used for student activity anymore. It was being rented out to a man who grazed, a local farmer who grazed livestock there. And there was a small section where some local people were growing some gardens. They let some people use some of the land to grow some gardens. So I took these pictures. I actually talked to one man that was uh, growing some garden produce there and selling it. Some of you may have heard a story about the beginnings of Avondale, and this little marker is a monument to those early beginnings. You can't read the inscription on it here, but this is what it says. About 500 yards east of this spot was found the furrow seen in a dream by Ellen G. White, which led to the establishment of the Australasian Missionary College in this district in 1894. Now, what is, she, what is this talking about, the furrow? Now, here's a picture. It may be hard to see the details of it, but this is all farmland. 
surrounding the Avondale campus, which has grown extensively from what it was in the early days. But here in the Avondale campus, there are a couple of the original buildings that were built when Ellen White was there. They have been kept up and are actually still used for school purposes there. And this monument is right out behind. So I stepped off going out into this field about 500 yards or the uh, amount of paces that it said on the monument. I went out there and I took a picture. And this is what I saw. And I tried to imagine in my mind what it, what it was like when this experience took place. And here is what Ellen White says. Before I visited Kuranbong, the Lord gave me a dream. In my dream, I was taken to the land that was for sale in Kuranbong. Several of our brethren had been solicited to visit the land, and I dreamed that I was walking upon the ground. I came to a neat-cut furrow that had been plowed one quarter of a yard deep and two yards long. Now, this is a furrow not plowed with human hands. How deep was it? One quarter of a yard. How deep is that in inches? Well, a yard is how many inches? A yard, how many inches? Get out, get out your calculators and your cell phones and figure it out. <laughs> now, back when I was going to school, they taught us it was 36 inches, and I've remembered it ever since then. So a yard is one quarter. If you need to, use your calculator, divide 36 by 4. I was taught it comes out to 9. So it was nine inches deep, and it says it was two yards long. How long is that? Six feet. Okay, this is what Ellen White saw in her dream. She says, two of the brethren, and one of these, by the way, was Elder A.G. Daniels, who at that time was in the administration in the conference there in Australia. Two of the brethren who had been acquainted with the rich soil of Iowa where topsoil might be 20 or 30 feet deep. And they were standing before this furrow and saying, this is not good land. The soil is not favorable. But one who has often spoken in council was present also, and he said, and who's speaking here now? This is Jesus, who often accompanied her in her dreams and visions and gave counsel one who had often spoken said this, false witness has been born of this land. Now these people actually had the agricultural agent from the government come and give them some advice about the Avondale property when they were considering buying it. And he said it's so poor that if a bandicoot, that would be something along the line of like a raccoon or a possum for us here. If a bandicoot went across this land, he'd have to take his lunch with him. That's what the agriculture agent told them. So these men were looking at it in her dream, and they said, this is uh, not good land. But this counselor said, false witness has been born. Then, and this part really caught my attention, he described the properties of the different layers of earth. He explained the science of the soil and said that this land was adapted to the growth of fruits and vegetables and that, if well worked, it would produce its treasures for the benefit of man. This dream I related to brother and sister Star and my family. The next day, we were on the cars 
on our way to meet others who were investigating the land. And as I was afterward walking on the ground where the trees had been removed, lo, there was a furrow just as I had described it, and the men also who had criticized the appearance of the land. The words were spoken just as I had dreamed. The only thing that wasn't there was the counselor was not standing there to speak, but Ellen White had heard him in the dream. Now this is really exciting to me, and I have a few more pictures I'm going to show, but I'm going to, this is where I'm closing up. What makes this exciting to me is here in Adventism, we had somebody who Jesus specifically gave instruction about the science of the soil and the properties of the different layers. And I have often wished Ellen White had written down everything he said, but she didn't. It's a little bit like John in Revelation 10, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, and then, then the uh, angel said to seal it up and don't even write it. You know, so it's sealed up. But what was given was for the benefit of future people. And it was unsealed. These uh, words in Revelation 10 were unsealed through prophetic inspiration. And I believe God holds in store for Seventh-day Adventists secrets of working with the soil that he's not going to give to the rest of the world because he wants it used for evangelistic purposes. He wants it to demonstrate the truths of the three angels' messages. And like the Sabbath, disconnected from the three angels' messages, it loses its force. It can be used for commercialism and for greed, as many even of proper procedures in working with the soil that are known now are used, but God wants his people to understand what he will not reveal to the rest of the world. And so this is something God is still holding in store for his people, for those who are willing to seek it and to pray for it and to put everything they have into this kind of a commitment. Now, the rest of the pictures I have here are just uh, quickly pictures of some of the area around Avondale. Ellen White made this statement. She said, I cannot for a moment entertain the idea that the land which can produce such large trees can be of a poor quality. So there's something you can look for when you're trying to evaluate your soil. If the people in this country would take the same pains in cultivating as in America, they would be able to grow as excellent fruit, grains, and vegetables as are raised there. These are just pictures of some of the trees that I saw there. This one here, you can see a man standing beside the tree. Now some of these trees, you can see the size of the tree in comparison with a man standing there. Ellen White said, I cannot believe that soil that can grow these kind of trees will not grow good fruits and vegetables if properly tended. She said, there are treasures hidden in the soil waiting to be brought forth by those who will follow God's methods. So I just want to encourage you. This is a picture, the last picture, I think, of the effort to revive an interest in agriculture at the Avondale School back in the 1970s. I think that we've gone some period of time since there was an effort that I believe God was behind to develop an interest in agriculture back in that time frame. But I think the opportunity is coming back around. 
And I think each one of us here has an opportunity to be a part of that. And it's my earnest prayer that we will be committed to seeking all that the Lord wants to give us, all that he wants to teach us. Don't give up because things don't work out. Many times people will come to me, and I'm sure they come to others here who make, all you have to do is make a presentation and people will start calling you and asking you questions. So there are others here who have lots of questions. People come to me and they ask questions. How come this didn't work out? I tried it and it doesn't work. I'm going back to uh, just working on a job and paying for food is much easier. But I ask the question, is it easier to grow food or is it easier to develop perfect character? You see, God has given us both gardens and one reflects the other. So let's not give up in one and the Lord will help us to persevere in the other. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.